This is What's Ahead, and I'm Steve Forbes. Today's episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes that hard work works, and for everyone working toward a goal, U.S. Bank is here to help. And if you would, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. The news from Europe doesn't look good. As a matter of fact, relations are strained with the U.S., Russia seems to be gaining influence, democracy seems to be in trouble in Central and Eastern Europe. That's why we stopped in to talk to Robert Vosch. He's a head of a think tank, one of the foremost in Europe called Globesec. He had a conference going on in sync with our conference, Under 30 Conference, and what he says is something that will actually hearten you. He's a realist, but he's also a successful activist. And by golly, it looks like civil society in Slovakia and elsewhere is stronger than what it looks like from the outside. And economically, these areas are much more vibrant than Western Europe. And we could see a situation where the reforms that have already been taking place in Central and Eastern Europe could actually flow to the West and get Europe off of its economic back. Central Europe is critical to the security of all of Europe, particularly Western Europe. After all, in 1939, Britain and France declared war on Germany when Germany invaded Poland. Poland and other Central European countries stand as the buffer between Russia and the rest of Europe. But first, as I look at the week ahead, well, there are only two things to watch out for next week, the biggies, the Democrat presidential debates, one on Wednesday, June 26th, the other on Thursday, June 27th, 10 candidates on each night. One or two candidates will emerge out of the pack, who I have no idea. That's what makes these things exciting. And one or two candidates will falter. Will Joe Biden withstand all the criticism he gets? Can Elizabeth Warren build on her momentum? Will somebody else break through the pack? I'm not a Democrat, but I'm certainly going to watch this one, and it's free. We'll also see a lot of discussion about Iran. Why didn't the president go ahead with retaliation for shooting down that drone? Will he compensate by tightening up on sanctions? What will be the reaction of the Europeans? What will happen on the trade front? Will the noises about a deal with China become louder? The very fact that the chief negotiator, a fellow named Robert Lighthizer, was talking down the prospects of a breakthrough on the trade talks, that's actually bullish. They talked it up a couple of months ago, and we saw what happened there. The deal fell apart. So by playing down expectations, you can raise your expectations that something might actually happen. Glad to have today Robert Voss. He's the founder and president of Globsec here in Bratislava, Slovakia. Uh, Robert, why don't you uh, begin by telling us what Globsec is and then a little bit about your own background. Thank you very much, Stephen. I'm very glad that we are doing this podcast here in Bratislava. Uh, I founded Globsec uh, 15 years ago as a young student, so it was a kind of a startup uh, uh, in Central Europe. Um, because everybody was uh, leaving Central Europe and these countries. There was a huge brain drain. Uh, and there was a belief that if you want to do something uh, global, you have to go to United States, to New York, to Silicon Valley, or to Western Europe. 
And also many people were saying that uh, uh, Slovakia is small, so it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and the big guys will decide. So we formed as, as a students of international relations uh, a think tank and, a, and an organization which wanted to bring the world to Bratislava and to persuade everybody that you don't have to be only in the big cities to be able to generate ideas that would be globally recognizable. And from this small startup uh, that we founded, now is one of the biggest uh, think tanks in Europe, uh, one of the uh, biggest forums that we do every year uh, in Bratislava. So there are only few uh, in, in Europe that are dealing about uh, global, global issues. And we have brought it here to Bratislava as, uh, as one of the um, big forums. Well, in this high-tech age, it's uh, also antiquated thinking that uh, geography matters as much as it did uh, 15 or 30 years ago. Uh, your think tank focuses on uh, enhancing security, prosperity, sustainability. Why did you lead with security? You, you've had some experience with NATO. Walk, walk us through We that. as a think tank started with security issues because of our, our geopolitical position. Center Europe is a frontline region. Uh, it, it has been always on the periphery and uh, the decisions were made about us, without us, many often. We've seen the World War One, World War Two. We've seen that uh, we simply fall into the wrong side um, uh, during uh, the Cold War. So we wanted to bring back this region to the core of the global thinking. And we started with uh, security issues because these are very important. But now security is defined much more broader. What do we call security? Is it the stability of the institutions that are guaranteeing our way of life that we have been building since the Second World War? World War, And we are seeing right now that these institutions somehow are getting into the phase of permanent crisis. We've seen the European Union fighting crisis after cri crisis, economic, uh, euro crisis, migration crisis, etc. So as the world is speeding up, also with the technological revolution, the private sector going much faster than our institutions are able to adapt, we see a huge disruption in the system that we, we have built. And we see that the gap between the speed of the world and the speed and or ability of our institution to adapt is growing. And that is creating a lot of tensions and I think that the world is disrupted and we have a very important generational mission, I would say, a historical mission, to make sure that we go through this disruption in a stronger way and that there are more winners than losers at the end of this uh, huge systemic change. You are wise to focus on security. I remember I, I used to head up the oversight agency of Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty and got to know Václav Havel. And he was very emphatic after the Velvet Revolution, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, that history had not ended. And he made it clear he wanted to do everything possible to tie the country then called Czechoslovakia to the West as much as could be possible. He did not have any illusions that suddenly everyone was going to turn into lambs. Yes. Well, we are here in the year of uh, when we celebrate 30 years of Velvet Revolution. 30 years ago, not far from here, from Bratislava, the Iron Curtain was teared down. And uh, we've, we thought after we joined NATO and EU, and many thought in the West, that uh, 
The mission is completed. It's done. But we are seeing that it is not a mission accomplished because we are going through a permanent crisis. And again, we have to take care of uh, democracy and, uh, and the legacy that our fathers had fought, Václav Havel and all the generation of 89, because they have created the world here in Central Europe that brought freedom. And because of this freedom, we have a lot of young talents and nice projects and ideas that have been able to grow into the, into the global stage. You mentioned about uh, institutions not keeping up with the pace of change. Give us some specifics why you think the European Union is in crisis, why we have the rise of populism, extremism, Brexit, Italy talking about leaving, Hungary talking about leaving. Why, why is it suddenly seeming to unravel? I would say this is, a, this is a broader trend. It's not only European Union. You see NATO that is being questioned uh, on uh, both sides of the Atlantic. You see trade wars uh, coming up between uh, between United States and China, but also uh, some of the rhetorics that goes also towards the European Union. So all of what we have been building uh, after the Second World War somehow uh, looks like being not agile enough to cope with uh, with the pace of the world. What I think is that with the internet, with what we created, the global uh, virtual network, we have decentralize the innovation potential. So innovation uh, is not uh, being born only on the big uh, technological parks, but almost everywhere around the world. We have created knowledge, a huge knowledge uh, that is on the virtual space that is being able to, uh, to grow exponentially. And this is bringing a lot of technological innovation. There is a lot of wealth in private companies there is a lot of wealth in technological companies. And these have been growing much, much, much faster than the institutions that we have built. And there are- Do you think that uh, the regulations from the EU or uh, other structural problems have hurt the growth of the non-technology economies? Because after all, non-tech is still 85% of economic activity. Let me say maybe one thing. When, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg said about Facebook that uh, this will be a game changer because Facebook will bring more closer the politicians and the citizens and it will give, them, it will give the citizens tool to be closer uh, uh, in the politics and participate in the politics. He was very right. He said that he will make politics more transparent. But we did not know that also we are creating tools which can be misused by those who want to misuse it against us. And we have two possibilities. First, we overregulate and we kill the innovation, which we don't want. We don't want and we cannot do that. Or we ignore it and we create a complete chaos. So what is the fine line between the regulation that the state does not kill the innovation and the growth, but, does, but, but also does not create vulnerabilities uh, that then our enemies or, or enemies of our freedom uh, can then uh, misuse against us? Because it would seem if uh, we didn't have these structural barriers, 
the growth would bring in people who would not feel otherwise left behind or that uh, they cannot find a place in this evolving world. Absolutely, and uh, I think all these technologies are bringing tremendous opportunities for, uh, for almost everybody in this planet. If they are connected, they can communicate, they can, they can uh, innovate, they can bring innovation and scale up to the global uh, global scale much faster than ever before. Uh, uh, well, you look at the Baltic states, states uh, like Estonia. Estonia. Skype comes out of Estonia. Absolutely. They are champions of innovation. But you have a lot of uh, stories like that in, in, in Central Eastern Europe. Tell us your vision about uh, what you call Danube Valley. I have to say that this region in Central Europe uh, it's more entrepreneurial than Western Europe. You have a lot of talents, uh, you have a lot of young talents, uh, and even startups, but they don't have the infrastructure. You don't have in Europe nothing like the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a driver of innovation in the United States. You don't have it in, in, in Europe for many reasons. You don't have the scale, you don't have capital markets, uh, and many other things. But our vision is to build in Central Europe and around Bratislava, Danube Valley, to make sure that all the young talents which are here don't have to leave this region to the United States and other parts of the Europe. But we create, we bring here investors, we create infrastructure, we create, uh, create uh, an uh, ecosystem uh, that they can stay here and they can nourish and they can build up their dreams and, uh, and they can build up their companies and, and startups. This region, for example, built ESET. Uh, Avast, AVG, these are the top antivirus companies in the world. They're all from this region. But nobody knows it. We are under the radar screen. We he need to promote it more because we have a lot of companies that made it to the world stage. We are building flying cars. We have the Echo Capsule, which, is, uh, which was uh, recently on the Times Square in New York, showing the innovation of sustainability. But we don't want these talents to leave. We want them to stay in this region, and we want to create together uh, with uh, other institutions uh, something that is called uh, Danube Valley. So with your help as Forbes, we want to put this on the radar screen of the investors and of everybody uh, who wants to contribute to this goal. Do you think that, just hitting one thing on social media, what Zuckerberg said, can democracies function with that kind of social media, or does it just lead to uh, paralysis? How do we get around this paralysis where you make a proposal and everyone now screams and jumps on it in real time? Well, this is a billion-dollar <laughs> question, but uh, I think that the tech companies and institutions need to sit at the partner table because we are on one boat. We all have to recognize that we have a problem, but there are solutions only if we sit at one table. Because if we don't what, sit at what, the what, partnership what, table... What, what, what solutions, if we brought people together, would you think might emerge or should emerge or hopefully would emerge? <laughs> we hopefully uh, will emerge uh, solutions that uh, will uh, close the vulnerability gap. So not allowing uh, criminals uh, and those who want to misuse this system to operate freely. Uh, uh, on, on, on the internet. So to apply all the new tech, the, the artificial intelligence, the big data and everything, uh, to make sure 
that that internet is the space for those who want to to use it for the good of uh, the world. You had a presidential election here. Do you take hope that uh, the winner, she refused to uh, attack her opponents and she used the internet to methodically rebut the charges made against her? Do you take hope from that? Election of our new president, a woman, uh, Ms. Chaputova, was a big hope uh, in this country, uh, especially in this region. It was a sign of hope uh, that uh, populism cannot, uh, that does not have to necessarily take over. And she was very transparent, she was very direct in communication. She was not going uh, back uh, on, on what, what she said and promised. And that was very good. And she used very efficiently social media. She's used very efficiently uh, um, uh, social communication tools, social media communication tools. So it is a sign of hope definitely in this country. It is a sign of hope for this region. And it is a sign of hope uh, for Europe. One of the things I think she gets to do is appoint judges, chief prosecutors, and uh, perhaps undo some of the uh, rise of what you might call oligarchism <laughs> that came in the 1990s. Absolutely. Uh, this is a very important job, but the president is not alone in that. Uh, she will have to rely on the parliament still. So in our system, parliament and the government is, uh, has a stronger say, but definitely president can lead by example, can lead by leading the public debate, and she can definitely do quite a lot. Do you think the EU is capable of making the changes it must make? Because one of the charges against the EU is they forgot in Brussels that you must have the consent of the governed, that you just can't issue diktats. People want to feel they have a say in the formulation of these. Well, yes, we, we, we hear quite often that, uh, we, that there is a bad Brussels and, uh, and the Brussels dictates us, etc., Simply that is not true because you have the, the European Council where pr all the prime ministers sa uh, sit. They are discussing until night and every prime minister has to raise the hand for the consensus. But they then come home and they communicate that this is a decision of Brussels as they would not be there. So it's very easy to blame Brussels for the dictate, but it's not, only the, it's not the commission who is, uh, uh, who is uh, making most of uh, the decisions, but it's, it is the council. And majority of the decisions in the council are anonymous. So, uh, so transparency, transparency is needed, is yeah. needed of course, and the communication as well. Going to uh, NATO, what do you, you've worked with NATO. What do you see the role of NATO today? It's the most successful alliance ever. What, what role do you see for it for the future? It is one of the, it is the most successful uh, alliances in the history. NATO and EU together has brought us 70 years of unprecedented peace, growth and stability. We have to make sure that these institutions survive all these disruption and changes that are ahead of us. And for that, I think what NATO needs to focus on is not only to build capabilities, but to build a political resilience, to build unity around the values uh, that the transatlantic community and the free world cherishes. This is very important. But we made a huge um, audit of the security environment uh, with uh, General John Allen and many others, uh, and uh, we recommended to NATO that it needs to look into the domain of artificial intelligence. 
and how artificial intelligence is also going to change the nature of conflict. Because there are enemies that can, for a small and little money, create huge damage without having the big, heavy steel equipments and capabilities. And by us having... Very different very Exactly, very different. So we can face a hyper-war uh, if we are not prepared for the new challenges. And we have to, to keep our technological edge and supremacy uh, as the West to protect all the freedoms and to protect all the, 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 the values on which our society is based. Because only if we protect them and if we, if we protect the values, only then we will be able to, to, to grow. Why are some attracted to Russia? You have in your country, the foreign ministry wants to conclude an agreement with the US on upgrading your airfields. Uh, the defense ministry uh, weighed in against it. What's the attraction of Russia vis-a-vis -vis the West? Is it just a remnant of the past or people expressing frustration or, or what? I think it's, uh, it's uh, a myth uh, uh, from the past that uh, we are um, uh, brother nations and uh, that Russia would protect us. But when you see Slovakia was formed after the uh, Czechoslovakia was formed uh, based on the, the uh, Wilson Declaration. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Uh, exactly. From the U.S. with the clear support and they stand behind us and they never turn their back to Czechoslovakia. So I don't know, I think it's a historical, historical myth uh, that goes uh, a little bit also culturally. But um, Russia is different now, very different. It's uh, a country which doesn't say it's um, a part of the West. And uh, when you look at the, at the numbers as well, the life expectancy is much lower. Wages are much lower. You have an oligarchic system uh, there. So I think we don't have any other option just to stick to the EU and NATO and stick in the West. And there are, um, uh, and this is a general over overwhelming uh, feeling here in Slovakia. So uh, there's support for the sanctions against Russia for what they've been doing in Ukraine? There is still a consensus uh, in the European Union that un unless they do something differently uh, in Ukraine, that these sanctions will not be lifted. But you see also that the general consensus in the general debate in Central European countries is going away. So uh, there is a lot of misinformation uh, in the field here. There is a lot of fake news that are being spread around here, and that is creating that gets, a. That gets to your point about social exactly. media. And exactly, and that creates um, that creates real confusion because what's the goal of uh, misinformation is not to win win you to believe the argument, but to decrease the trust in your system, to decrease the trust in democracy. Because what is worth for democracy are the passive citizens who don't trust their their government or their state. Because in that environment, when the majority is silent, then the small minority can be louder and can take over uh, the public debate. And that's very, very dangerous. On uh, trade, people don't realize little Slovakia is now the fifth largest exporter of autos to the United States. You consciously made yourself a major auto center starting in the early part of this new century. Remarkable success. 
where do you see the, the these trade uh, rumblings going? Well, if uh, any any problem in transatlantic affairs on trade would hit Slovakia very heavily. So for us, uh, a good trade relations between the United States and Slovakia and Europe is of utmost importance. We are number one in producing cars in the world per capita. We produce millions of cars as a small country. We are just a five million uh, people. But there is another danger in long run that if we don't innovate, if we just be uh, the automation, automation world, world. We will be hit by the fourth industrial revolution and the new technology. So we need to bring here more R&D um, and more, more added value, uh, added value uh, production. And uh, you feel that way the country is, will be flexible enough to adjust to uh, automation, artificial intelligence, and... Uh, I think we are, uh, we, we are on a good way. Moving up the food chains. Yes, we, we need to, absolutely. That's the goal, and that should be the priority of every next government. Uh, because if we don't do that, we'll be hit definitely by the changes that uh, are ahead of us. We need to invest more into R&D, and we need to, um, uh, need to grasp the, the opportunities that uh, uh, the new technology brings. How do you see the U.S. role evolving? Well, uh, there is uh, the U.S. is a very important partner for us, and we are true believers on, of transatlantic cooperation because we think that uh, the, the world without Europe and U.S. working closely together will be a world uh, which uh, will be in which there will be much more chaos and. We want the rules and the systems and the regulations that we have created together to last as long as possible and to be universal. But if we, we don't stick together, then there will be others who will uh, dictate their rules and their, and their conditions. So do uh, you think there's a danger that people forget why we did what we did after World War II? creating these institutions and sort of taking the results for granted. Absolutely. There is a clear danger, and we have to navigate this through uh, in a very strong way because without this close cooperation, I think Europe will be weaker and the United States will be weaker as well. People like you are working hard to remove doubts that people have about freedom of the press, freedom of the judiciary here and other countries in Central and Eastern Europe. Do you feel optimistic that you'll prevail? We feel very optimistic because we've seen the strength of the civil society in this country. In the 90s... Uh, you had a virtual dictator. We, have a, we had a very authoritarian government at that time, but civil society uh, played a very crucial role to put us back uh, on the track. As Madeleine Albright called, uh, at that time, Slovakia as a black hole of Europe, she came back a few years ago to Globsec and said... You are a shining star because you have been able to catch up. And the civil society, which grew up in the 90s, is very, very vivid and strong. And you have seen it uh, recently. You have seen the civil society, you have seen the people who were waving uh, European flags and uh, sticking to the values uh, of Europe uh, and, uh, and the West. Robert Voss, thank you very, very much, and uh, we hope uh, you succeed because your success will be all of our successes. Thank, thank you. you very much, Steve.
And here are my reads of the week. Two articles. The first one, I love this one, The Myth That Eating McDonald's Makes You Obese. It's written by Hans Bader, B-A-D-E-R, and you can find it on fee.org, F-E-E dot org. Read it and go out and get yourself a Big Mac. Another one is by Kimberly Strassel at the Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. She writes a piece about how Donald Trump should come up with a new positive agenda for a second term, including more tax cuts, reforming the judiciary, moving certain Washington agencies outside of the swamp and back into the country. Good ideas like that will generate a better campaign than what it looks like right now. Thanks for listening to What's Ahead. I'm Steve Forbes, looking forward to next week. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this show, we at Forbes sure would appreciate it.